This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. And welcome to another edition of the Michigan Football Film Study focused on the offense with Al Borges. And we are reflecting upon an utter domination, a butt whooping, a curb stomping, an evisceration, an ass thrashing. I mean, we can, I, I, I've run out of synonyms, Al Borg, just to talk about the, the epic beatdown that was unleashed. You act like I'm exaggerating, Al. I'm just giving you an accurate assessment of what we saw on the football field as Michigan ran all over Penn State 41 to 17. How you doing this week? No, I don't. I don't really think you're exaggerating. It's just your manner and your approach and your posturing. I don't think there's any question. This was a, a bludgeoning. And and a little bit, 418 yards, who would have thought that? Now, I know, you know, Michigan's a good running team. Don't get me wrong. But it is Penn State. <laughs> I mean, you're thinking you're going to get more resistance than that. And they didn't. And it was, you could say it was a tale of two halves. Yes, it was in terms of the score, but it really wasn't in terms of the way they manhandled. They had 18 first downs in the first half to Penn State's one, and the game was only a two-point game, but up front it was 150 to nothing, okay? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things to talk about in this game, but the one that's got to be at the top of the list is the physical ass kicking that happened on the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball. And even I listened to a piece of James Franklin's press conference. And that's the first thing that went out of his mouth is they got beat on both sides of the ball. And I don't think anybody could argue that. Yeah. They got out coached too. Hey, they got out coached. They got out physical. You don't get, you know, thrashed, like destroyed like that. And it's all on the players. And Oh, we got to get bigger guys. I mean, there, there are times, I don't care how big your players are. If you don't, if you haven't taught them to align properly, uh, that's on the coach, not on on the players. And we saw examples of that uh, in this game. So it was a thorough butt kicking, uh, you know, on the field and on the sideline. And here's the thing, Al, you know, the regard for a performance like that, two things. Running isn't as sexy as passing in, in the eyes of fans or media. That's number one. And then number two, you know what happens? The, the goalposts get 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 moved everyone was saying this is going to be a close game it's going to be a close game Penn State went down to your old stomping grounds and pushed Auburn around like that was something that that established them as a top tier team well now that Michigan destroys them suddenly oh Penn State's overrated we don't know if Michigan's that good I mean maybe Penn State is overrated but that's a talented team that Michigan just beat down Uh, I think that says something about Michigan's legitimacy as a contender yeah that you know, they were blocking Slippery Rock. This was a top 10 team with some some physical kids up front. And at times, it actually showed up a little bit, but they couldn't get the whole front to play together at the same time. Uh, and so often, there were just creases created that were not tough runs. You know what I mean? Sometimes you got to weave in and out and be visual and do some special stuff that's very instinctive to a lot of running backs. But some of these runs... The pin and pulls, the last duo play. Oh, my God. The last duo play was a a training reel play on how to block a duo play. It would be the first play I put on for the team when we were introducing the duo play. Okay, this is how it's run when everybody does things perfectly. Uh, Donovan's pin and pull the uh, off the RPO was picture perfect. They got him in a good front. They're in a 4-2 cover one. We're going to telestrate it later. But still, everybody was secure. The edge was set. The pullers were through clean. I mean, you just just doesn't get any better than that. So, uh, credit to the offensive line and the tight ends. Okay, who I thought played okay. I'm going to talk about that a little bit later when we go to the grades. But uh, they're working in concert, you know, with the double teams and down blocks and all that. I just thought 
was pretty good. Almost zero assignment errors, you know, uh, but it was truly a ass-kicking of massive proportions on the line of scrimmage. Oh, Al, I'm rubbing off on you. Al, boy, this. Well, that's what it was. The problem is I don't go on and on and on about it's a curb stomping. And it's a, I mean, you have like, you have more terms to explain how somebody whips somebody's ass than any human being in the history of the world. And you use every single one of them. And this week is going to be a horror story because they play Michigan State. I'm not even looking forward to listening to you. Look, Michigan State fans can't hate me any. Well, at least I thought they couldn't hate me anymore, but. I'm going to try to make them hate me more. Well, <laughs> I'm sure you're I'm capable. I'm effort. sure you're capable. There's no doubt in my mind that they can get you to hate them more. I'm going to try. But here, here's, you know, I said something earlier, and one of the fans kind of, uh, one of the viewers, by the way, we will open up the uh, the comments for questions for Al Boards. As Darren Graham said, uh, if the media and fans respect the great running teams as much as they do great passing teams, Michigan be ranked number one or number two in the country right now. So much of the emphasis, and understandably so, I, you know, I was sort of guilty of this too, saying, hey, you know what? Penn State's a good run defense. That Michigan's going to run on them, but they might need to – this might be a game where they have that's to – That's what I thought. Yeah, that's they, what I thought. Open it up through the air, loosen them yeah. up a little bit. But pregame, Al, I, you know, I guess I've been hanging around the key a little too long. I said, you know, another element in opening up the run game is establishing J.J as a run, like being very intentional about it, not not broken plays, not imp- improvisations, but, you know, designed to be run. So bluff runs, they even threw in QB counter. You could tell early on that was an emphasis, and that wound up out playing a bigger role in opening up the running game than the pass wound up doing. Well, whenever you've got a team you think is really stout run defense and you have a running quarterback, you'd like to include that as a piece, not – too big a piece, but a piece of uh, your run game. Now, if you got Denard Robinson, it's a huge piece. But with JJ, who's more multifaceted, they had uh, they ran uh, four bluff zones, all of them pretty too. Now he handed one of them off, I think, but pulled three of them, and they ran two uh, read counters off OT read counters. Again, we're going to telestrate that, but uh, which we had not seen before. That was a new play, and I'm sure it was because of the respect they had for uh, Penn State's run defense. But, again, something – again, I, before the game, I was like, boy, I think they ought to start off throwing the ball early just to loosen them up. And they did throw nine out of the first 19 plays. Yeah. So it wasn't as though they didn't. They just went out and tried to mow them over. They did the balance. They from pistol, Al, and they threw from pistol. Yeah. And I'll tell you something. For pistol, I was going to mention that too. The first thing you could tell, there's two things they wanted to do. They wanted to break a tendency that they were in pistol all the time and it was a running play. So they had, I believe, three or four plays. First play of the game was a pistol bunch route with a, yeah. They were going to break that tendency, and they wanted to break the tendency that he always rolls to the right on uh, naked bootlegs. Mm -hmm. So they roll one to the left. didn't work, but at least they can't say every time they naked to his arm side. Okay, so that... There was other things they did, but those were the things that jumped out of me the most. But I think what what happened, Sam, is as, as a battlefield decision, when they start feeling like they were pounding them, and this happened, I'm going to say, late in the first quarter, saying, you know what, we're getting some give every time we run a running play. All of a sudden, the scales tipped a little bit more, saying, okay, well, let's make these dudes prove it. And they came at them with, you know, the whole menu of of uh, dual plays, the dual cook, the dual counter, the, the straight dual play. And uh, they pounded that sucker in there for 12 different times during the game from different – you know how we always talk about the different variations they use to run it. The play that really came to the surface was the uh, the horn, the pinnacles. I call it horns, pinnacles, and the guy's going around the horn. And that one, uh, that's been in other games, right? But we hadn't seen it run seven times in the game. And I'm not sure that was their plan or they got it and, and that was what they're going to do regardless or they got in the game, realized that those blocking angles were too juicy. And by that, I mean a lot of winner blocks, a lot of opportunities to block down on a player that's leveraged. And that's what happened on most of those runs. Yeah, you know, as I as I look at what the perception of how good this team is, so, so much of it 
is based again on how they have been successful. They have been successful mostly by pounding teams and having an efficient passing game. It has been short on the on the explosives through the air, you know, the downfield passing game, which we again, you and I both thought, and you being the the former play caller, even thought they were going to do more of that in this contest. But you know, I, I think that you know that expectation has kind of it's kind of spurred some false narratives. So at the beginning it was, Hey, every time they motion, they, they run. It's like, well, no, even if that were true, they're, they're very successful, but his teams aren't stopping them from running for the most part. But Hey, it turned out not to be true. As you went back in the numbers, you looked at the Iowa game. It was 14, 14 run pass with, with motion. Uh, I can't remember the numbers for, uh, for Indiana, but you went and got that one too. Uh, after that, it started to be, okay, they're 100% run from pistol and Big Ten play, which they were, but you went back and got the numbers on that. It was a wildly successful play, right? They, they were, they were, I think, uh, four for six in efficiency in, in the game versus Maryland. They were four for four in pistol efficiency uh, in the Indiana game. And what do I mean by efficiency, Al? Good. Give us the the efficiency. Yeah, efficiency simply means it gained four yards or more, or it satisfies what satisfy, satisfied what the play needed to get a first down. Okay, say so if you run the ball on first down, you gain four yards. That's an efficient play. You want to do be efficient fifty percent or better of the time. Okay, if you're third and one and you run the ball for a yard that gets a first down, that's an efficient play. Okay. If you run the, if you throw a pass on third and six and it comes up short, that is not an efficient play, right? So uh, it has to either satisfy the scenario to get the first down or touchdown, or be plus four half the time or better. That's an efficient play. Okay. Now I want to mention something about uh, what is in essence what you're talking about, Sam. Self scouting. Okay. Talking about offset backs and three by ones and things like that. We'll get to That's- that. That okay, we'll get to that. But I want it before we do. I'm going to set the stage for it. Okay, I got something I want to talk about regarding that. Okay, because I've always been a self scout guy for the longest time, and you got you got to look at what you're doing. I went to the Indianapolis Colts in uh, 2005 and talked to a guy named Tom Moore. Tom was an offensive coordinator in the NFL for years. Steelers very well respected. A lot Lions, of people go to Lions. Even he was with the Lions yes. for a minute. Yeah. And I mentioned to Tom, I said, you know, Tom, how much self-scouting do you do and how much does it influence your play call? He looked at me and said, I don't do any self-scouting. Because I think it's bull. He goes, you'll allow self-scouts to talk you out of doing everything you do well. You'll say, well, we run this formation, we run this play, we're showing it too much. And you look at the, what it's yielding, and it's 6.5. So you'll feel compelled to change something about it that screws the quarterback up, that screws up. This is, was his argument. And I, I bought it for to a degree. I still think you got to research yourself and know. But Tom was a believer that too much self-scouting will get you playing left-handed instead of playing the way and doing the things that you did the best. Now that resonated with me because when I went back, I still didn't stop self-scouting because again, they're, they're looking at what you're doing and you want to, but when push came to shove and there was a crucial situation, I, I would lean more towards what we did best rather than what I thought they would defend based on formations or whatever whether it's three-by-ones or whatever, okay? And I think that paid off, in my opinion, for me, big time. But it it was the first guy I'd ever – he just didn't really believe much in self-scout. I'm sure you could go to another offensive coordinator who'd give you a ream of statistics, a ream of paper statistics, telling you this is why we do this and make that point. But uh, with his experience and the successes that he had, you had to listen to what he was saying. Yeah, well, I'm going by your your numbers to get back to – get off this this pistol thing to set up this discussion about offset run controls uh, because that was something that Joe Clatt got brought up through the broadcast. I had, I know it's going to be one of the questions when we get to the Q&A portion of this, so we might as well deal with it now. But to get back to the pistol thing, 
Again, I pulled up your number, six pistol plays against Maryland, four for six, all run. Of course, remember, they were 100% run. Four for six in efficiency. They averaged 10.8 yards per play. Uh, out of pit, run plays out of pistol against Iowa. Four pistol plays, six and a half yards per play, four for four efficiency. They got into the game against uh, Indiana, and the efficiency dipped. 14 plays from pistol, only 42 yards, three, three yards play, six for 14 efficiency. But here's the thing. We were talking about 100% run from pistol before the Indiana game, which why would you get away from something that was working so well before that point? You get in the Indiana game, and there were a couple of factors that mitigated the, the efficacy. You had, uh, you had definitely a team that got out of, out of whack, out of sorts mentally when, when Mike went down. And give Indiana credit. They do some things up front that challenged Michigan even last year, and they were triggering on pistol. But is that a problem? Or is it an opportunity? I saw it as an opportunity. Okay, a team is starting to trigger on it. We still had decent success. When we get in the next game, seeing how teams are react, that's a perfect setup for play action. Al, that's exactly what we saw. That's exactly yeah. what we saw. Like, and so now we get into this game. Uh, you, you think about some of the narratives that had that had come out. Let me bring you back. I'll bring Al back in, uh, bring Al back in here shortly. So uh, you had a, a couple of things kind of show up in the mix. You had uh, in the in the Maryland game, I think it was after that game, that you had Joe Klatt say, hey, you know, I don't know about this, this coordinator tandem or this dual coordinator deal. It's one of those things where, uh, it seems like it's out of rhythm. I don't didn't really see much uh, evidence of that, but he seemed to think it was a thing, right? Then we get into the Iowa game, and there was motion. Motion is a is a run tip off. The case is your numbers backed up, Al. Uh, that was that was not the case against Iowa. It was not the case uh, against Maryland. Then we get into this game. And we know these are talking points, not because we watch the broadcast, but because we are answering your questions, you the people. And a ton of them, even getting into it with Devin yesterday, was like, hey, so is Michigan tipping their wide receiver screens with the alignment of the back? And I'm like, what are they? I mean, are we talking about bubbles? Like, so it immediately made me question. So, Al, have you ever seen a team run bubbles with the back, you know, aligned opposite the bubble i've never i mean what what are we talking about how is this a how is this even a talking point first of all and then second of all is there evidence that in state was benefiting from this so-called tip-off so let's just start off there first with is is there a thing such a thing as the back being aligned opposite or being offset opposite the bubble have you ever seen that no not not Without a pre-snap read, you can't go through the read progression with the back of the backside. You have to be able to see the on that play. You have to be able to see the end, the add-in, the three-over-two look in a bubble. You got to be able to see all that, uh, and sometimes you have to see it after the ball snapped. Now it's conceivable, I guess, you could set the back the other way and just throw the bubble if you think it looks good. But you can't go through all the progressions it takes to make the play work. So. Tom Moore's answer to that, I think, and you have to ask Tom for sure, but he'd say, what do you want me to do, throw out that formation? It's been one of the best things we've done all year. He'd giggle and move on. So my point is, is the other element to that is that you don't know where the hell the ball's going on that play. The ball could be handed off, right? The ball could be pulled and run around the edge for the quarterback, or the ball could be thrown outside to an RPO. So what you have from that formation is three conflicting plays. If you trigger a bubble too hard and your in closes too much, the quarterback's going to run, pull the ball and run around the edge with three people triggering and jumping a bubble. Okay. That's your first issue. If you leave yourself shorthanded or you're in the gray area where the quarterback's going, I'm not sure if they're really going to load the box on the snap of the ball or not. It allows a quarterback to see the reaction of the player over the bubble and pull the ball and throw the bubble out after the snap, after the ball snapped if he wants to. So my point is, is you have 
three plays within one play from one look. If they want to overplay trigger in a bubble, they're simply going to give you something else eventually. They may get away with it once, but they're going to have to play it honest. Add to that, add to that the counterpunch of bubble takeoffs, where when you trigger hard, and Michigan's already done this a couple times in games, where they give you the illusion of the bubble, entice you to jump the bubble, and then take off either on wheel routes or whatever just to exploit your aggressiveness in playing the bubble. So, yeah, I guess you you want to tell me if you're playing defense every time it's a three-by-one with an offset, we're going to play the bubble. I'm going to say to you, you might, you might, but you're going to give us two other things, maybe three. I'm not even sure they're going to play the bubble because other than bad throws in that game, those bubbles were there too. See, so you just gave an excellent sort of synopsis of the theory of the play. But the application in the game, the analysis didn't fit. Penn State wasn't triggering hard on but like like the so the first time he mentioned it and I didn't people sent it to me because I we're we're live at the game, so I don't hear the broadcast. But it was on a it was on the play where he where the ball it was a bad ball to Roman. Like it the, the reason the play fell uh, failed had nothing to do with Penn State triggering on the play. They didn't trigger on the play. Right? It no. was three, it was three over two if if it's a good ball to Roman, he gets a positive play. But it was a bad ball that he was not able to advance. But just to the point, because now we we got to go back. We got to go back and look at the number of plays with with offset run controls, right? The very first pin and pull of the game, Al, you had, you had the running back aligned to the three-receiver side, a bubble so to the field, a bubble to the field, and he handed it off. So what are we talking about? I mean, the very first time they did, yeah. they run the ball. Right. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to say this. I'm going to – this is conjecture, okay? So just indulge me, Sam, all right? You've done a pretty good job of that. What play did Penn State break? The only play Penn State ran in the first half. They ran a three-by-one offset with a line route to the tight end. Michigan – uh, gap exchanged it, mm-hmm. kicked out the tackle, and the quarterback took it. I promise you Michigan was aware that they could run a bubble in that situation, mm-hmm. okay, because they do. It's in, but to say that uh, – or a line route, which is what that was. But to say that you could play that bubble, you saw what happened on that play. The only play they ran with it, aren't in the first half, uh, overplaying bubbles and leaving the quarterback running. So – it applies to every team. It just doesn't apply to Michigan. Everybody runs three by one and two by twos, weak offset bubbles or some form of run control. So I, I just think it's a nebulous generalization. Oh, absolutely. And so the numbers, you want the numbers and this is to arm you to people as you're getting in. Maybe you have a, 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 you know, a view of this or, or maybe you had a preconceived notion anyway. Well, on this particular scenario, back offset. To a three receiver side with a run control attached, be it a bubble or a line route, right? Michigan did that seven times in this game. Borges went back and, and got the numbers, did it seven times in this game. And then we went back and we calculated the yardage. Seven plays, not counting the one that was wiped out due to a penalty. Seven plays for 103 yards, 14.7 yards per attempt. That sound like Penn State's having success triggering on Michigan's offset back to the three-receiver side. Doesn't sound like they're having success to me. <laughs> Maybe they're just horrible <laughs> with a cheat sheet. Maybe just horrible when it comes to taking the, the context clues, right? Seven <laughs> plays, 103 yards, 14.7 yards per attempt. Okay, well, one of those plays was Donovan's 67-yard touchdown. They had a back offset to a three-receiver side. One of them was the tight end who ran a line route. Right, but he handed it off on a pin and pull. That was a touchdown. Okay, let's take that one out. Let's take that sixty-seven yards out. Six plays, thirty-six yards, still six point six yards per carry or per play. Al, what are we talking about? I mean, another time that it was mentioned, the time that Andre Anthony was blown up in the second half, and it was this whole thing. Yeah, Michigan is really giving up. You know, they're they're tipping their their wide receiver screen. Well, Al, as I had you look at the play, and the first thing that you mentioned was 
look how wide the corner is aligned. Look how wide Kalen King is aligned on this play. You can make the argument that you can ha- you should hand it off here and run it, but it's not a terrible decision to to throw it right. But it was mistargeted. You had the yeah, guy that was, that was mistargeted. The the plays that succeed that didn't succeed were either bad throws or mistargeted. They were not based on any great triggering by Michigan State's uh, by uh, by Penn State's defense. I think what you got is a combination of things. Again, more conjecture. But so far, you've done a nice job of indulging me. I think Joe Clatt's done too many Michigan games. And I'm not saying that to be a wise-ass, okay? Right, right. He's just saw – he's seen Michigan several times and thinks he has a feel for what they do. Or or he talks in his briefings on Friday to the Penn State coaches and they give him a few cues on what they're looking for or a combination of the two. That would be my guess. I could be wrong. The, the I know when I used to do the briefings on Friday, I'd give him a few tips – not too much. They promised they'd never say it until they were on the air. And they'd run with it a little bit, but usually it wasn't something that definitive, okay? I, they didn't usually uh, say what Joe said. But And Joe, again, I think is an excellent uh, analysis, uh, analyst. But sometimes, like anybody, and I've done this probably before, is projects things based on feel that are not true, not, or at least they're not completely true. They may be in part true and they may be anecdotal evidence to make their point. Like you saw him, uh, Andrew getting blown up on one bubble and uh, a bad ball to, 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 to Roman on one. They say, they're really triggering that. But really when you go back and look at the play, if you look at it rationally and from a coach's perspective, you realize why the play failed and it had nothing to do with someone triggering with any consistency to stop a play. And the uh, numbers, the numbers, Sam, would prove that to be true because yeah, they right. certainly have. Tom Moore would say this. Okay, I'll close with this. Tom Moore would say, you want me to throw that play out? <laughs> you want me to do it a different way? Are you out of your friggin' mind? <laughs> Seven plays for 103 yards? I think not. No, but in four uh, games, we've done three-by-ones with an offset back, and they know it's coming. Yeah, we average uh, 14 yards a, th- uh, a play. He'd look at you like you had 10 heads and say, you're stupid. And he'd be right. Okay. Right. So again, we get, we get locked into these, uh, to these, because it's not sexy, Al. If it was sexy, I don't think this would be a, a thing. They just ran all over, but there, there were examples of just completely overwhelming beyond the physical domination. There was, there were examples of overwhelming them tactically. And I, it makes me think of something you just said. Maybe there were some things that that you, you get from the Penn State coaches that they tell you they're looking for, and you sort of apply that to your analysis, even when it doesn't fit. I could buy that, uh, especially when you look at how, and you really, and we'll detail this in the film study, you really seized upon, uh, you know, that Michigan ran unbalanced power, and Penn State couldn't get a line right. They couldn't get a line right. That's another one I was going to mention. Uh, there were horns, there were duos up the butt, there were bluff runs. But a play they featured in this game uh, six different times was the power play. And half of them, I believe, were from a tackle over unbalanced look that Penn State we had one hell of a time lining up to. Uh, we're going to detail uh, one of them in the, in the film study, but uh, there was more than one. There was one they were completely misaligned on where they're bringing a corner and there were four guys set to the weak side of the formation playing the tight end who was on the two man backside. And there was a hole. Yeah. The linebacker is like, I through. we're yeah. missing some guys. They look confused. So they did. They, they, the Michigan did an outstanding job of game plan in this game because they put their people in so many bad advantageous situations that uh, it was going to lead to success. Yeah. So they, they dominated them physically. They dominated them tactically, which brings us to the bitter and the sweet, Al. Give me, give me your, your bitter. Uh, I, there was some, and then, of course, there's a whole lot of sweet in this one. Yeah, the bitter is uh, J.J. missed some uncharacteristic, uncharacteristically missed some, some balls. J.J. has been money on bubbles in terms of the accuracy of his throws. I mean, he has put those balls in full stride more often than not. And that's one of the many reasons that they've been so successful to this point is because, A, the accuracy of the throw, B, 
the tenacity of the receivers blocking the perimeter. They have been very tenacious, uh, not always technique perfect, but the, the, their, their, in, their intensity and their toughness has sometimes overcome some technique flaws. Uh, but he missed, he threw two bad balls, uh, and then he threw one, really three bad balls because he forced a pirouette on the one to his left that, you know, minimized the damage. Uh, I'm not, I would not overreact to that if I coached him. I said, okay, hey, we know we can do this. This is no issue. Let's just be good, be fundamental, go back to what made you successful, and don't freak out. Ain't no big deal. We'll fix it. We'll get it done. And I don't think, you know, I'm not going to say he's never thrown another bad bubble, but uh, you'll, I think that'll minimize itself. To, he's too good a passer to allow that to happen. Number two, I think, uh, I still believe, because uh, he only threw for 145 yards, yeah, which is probably what the game dictated. They were pounding him so bad, he didn't have to throw for any more than 145. And remember what I told you, Sam, what's the most demoralizing thing for a team to have happen to him? Yeah, have it run down their throat. Run down their throat. That will break the will of the entire team. Yes, even the defense, because they're witnessing it and thinking, oh, my God, they can't stop them. We're going to have to do something miraculous to get us back in this game. Uh, but I still think that uh, a lack of, of downfield shots uh, is still – they're going to need it in some game. They didn't need it in this game because the running game was so good. But I think there's going to be a point they're going to need it. Uh, so I think – that has to uh, that has to improve. And then too many field goals in the first half, mm-hmm. you know, uh, red zone efficiency. But that went away. Uh, that's bitter and sweet because what were field goals in the first half became touchdowns in the second half. So you can't hold them hostage too much on that. They fixed it, you know. But you don't want to be going coming away with field goals because there was such a statistical advantage in the first half, and to be only ahead by two points was a travesty. That just that should have never that should have never happened. Uh, from a sweet perspective, they were used JJ as a runner, uh, four different buff plays, a few cute ones with fly motion that I thought were, were slick, uh, and the counter, the, the counter, uh, quarterback counter read I thought was cool. Uh, they broke the pistol tendencies, which, you know, everybody's uh, talking about that. And that was another one, you know, all they ever do is run from pistol, but their pistol productivity. Hasn't been too bad. I was excited about the way uh, Zach Center played. I thought he played a, a good football game. Uh, I, I, I think you need to mention that. J.J.'s ability to recover off an interception, and not just an interception, Sam, but an interception for a touchdown. But he did he didn't melt down, came back, did not throw another interception, and basically did what it took to win the game. And when you run for 418 yards, I think you should call that sweet. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Call me crazy, but I think that's – I'll take 418. And here's the one we haven't mentioned yet that I mentioned before the game and I think was a monstrous factor. Monstrous is big. That means real big, Sam. Mm-hmm. Donovan Edwards. Donovan Edwards. We talked about Donovan before the game? Yeah. We said we they got to get him more involved in some way, shape, or form. And they did. Who did they? I mean, and it wasn't just – you know, he, he ran for uh, 173 yards, which is, you know, pretty good. But he also caught ball, caught a ball on a rail route. That we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna, uh, telestrate that one, too. He's just so multifaceted that the more involved he is, the more weapons that Michigan could bring to the table. And he can pass, too, which we haven't seen yet, but stay tuned on that one. Uh, but he made a difference and not a little difference, a big difference. I'd be honest with you. I thought he, him doing more would make a difference. I didn't think it would be that much. So that was a true sweep without a doubt. Okay. And, uh, you know, just overall, uh, 563 yards to, to 268. That's pretty bitter for Michigan, uh, pretty sweet for Michigan, but pretty bitter. For Penn State. So the overall effort was a great team win with a lot of people involved. Uh, you like to run, throw for more than 145 yards, but that's coming. That's on its way. That'll happen. So, Al, let's get to the grades. Uh, and, folks, if you have questions for Al, I'll get them in after the grades. You can put them in the comment section uh, right now, and I'll start lining them up. And as he after he grades each position group, We'll start breaking down some of the questions. So, Al, uh, let's get into your your grades. How can you give the O line anything but a, a B plus to A minus? Okay, there's still there's several uh, minuses 
technique wise and i you know i'm 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 an enemy of the good because i want perfection but they played their butts off they controlled the line of scrimmage they were you know they were excellent and when it was all said and done i mean they, they did a great job um the tight ends uh i thought were not as good as they've been uh i had them with 13 minuses but not they didn't get tossed around. They did a, they did a pretty solid job when it was all said and done, but I gave them a B minus. I thought they were, but I mean, again, 418 yards, how bad can your tight ends play? They're running a lot of balls in behind those guys. So, uh, Sam, what do you give the running backs? <laughs> well, you, you're the one struggling to give out A's, man. You don't want to give I out A's. I hate giving A's, but I can't, I can't, you know, I gotta, I gotta be honest. So, what, what do you count? Can you give them anything but an A? I mean, goodness gracious. They picked the blitz up. They had two backs rush for over 150 yards. That's probably a case for an A plus, and I ain't never given an A plus to anybody. Okay, I wouldn't give Albert Einstein an A plus in math. Okay, what is but, your problem? Uh, he I was. I want to reward you know things that look really really good. Yeah, I mean, what are you gonna do? I mean, I, I, just, I, I always want them wanting more, you know. And if you give them too much too soon, then they assume too much. So, but they were out. They were off the charts. Simply off the charts. Quarterback was a B minus, uh, not a bad game. I didn't give him a C. I gave him a B minus because I think he's still pretty solid. But there were some uncharacteristic things. But he added Sam. He may have missed a throw or two, but he made up for it running the football for fifty-seven yards. Mm-hmm. Fifty-seven yards isn't bad for a quarterback, okay? Particularly when one running back rushes for one seventy-three and the other rushes for one sixty-six. Okay. Fifty-seven yards a good day, okay? So I gave him a B minus. The wide receivers, I gave a B plus. I thought they blocked well in the perimeter, pretty much made the plays they had to make. Uh, again, I'd like to see somebody create a big one. I'd give them an A if they create a big one, but I want to see somebody create a big one. And the coaches have to accommodate that too. Uh, so, um, but I thought they were pretty good. Ronnie was had five catches for 39, CJ three for 43, and Wilson four for 29. Not gaudy numbers, but solid based on what they did with with a run game, it was very solid. So, mm-hmm. All right. We got the grades down. Uh, people want you to grade your former quarterback who did the Monday morning quarterback. He did the film are study. You, they, don't you want talk- you to, they don't want you to grade his analysis. They want you to grade his look. So what do you think of this, Al? Are you, are you talking about Nanook the Eskimo? <laughs> yeah, what do you think of that look, Al? I mean. Holy you, Toledo. You did come you know, to like a, that today? He was a pretty tough guy when he played, but I think he's become soft and mentally weak. Just looking at that picture right there, I don't, I don't know. Um, hey, dude, born and raised in Michigan. I'm like, I know, but gee, many Christmas. He's in the studio. He's in the studio. You got to be studio kidding. with his with his winter in Wakanda hat, as one of the viewers said. And they said, "Devin, is it winter in Wakanda?" Man, man, people yeah, are he's fire. Did he have to wear the shades indoors? Yeah. I don't know, Sam. The, the the Monday morning maniac might be getting to him a little bit. I don't know what the deal is. But uh, I don't know. Yeah, gee, many Christmas. Unbelievable. He, said, he claims we're going to want his, his wardrobe uh, when the uh, when the weather finally breaks. We're going we're gonna to be begging him. Well, I don't think I don't think I'm his size, but uh, uh, maybe I can use use it for blankets. I don't know. But uh that look, I think he's got to rethink that. So we're we're getting a, a lot of questions about red zone offense. So let's just start there. I got so many of them. So uh, rather than put each of them up, I'll just ask you, red zone offense in that game in particular, did you see anything in the first half that was particularly problematic, anything that Penn State was, was doing? Uh, is it more about Michigan's approach in the red zone? What did you see as far as red zone uh, efficiency or lack thereof as far as touchdowns were concerned in the first half of that game? Well, they got, you know, they, they mowed them over for about 80 yards. Okay. They were getting down there. That was certainly not the issue. They did not punt the whole game. So that tells you something. I mean, that wouldn't be a big deal if you had a bunch of turnovers, but they only had one. So they were moving the football. Uh, I think just a glitch here and a glitch there down the red area, they, they got them a little behind the chains and then you need that crucial third down call and they weren't getting it, uh, getting it executed or calling it right or getting it executed uh, in the red area and it forced field goals. And that changed completely in the second half. Those glitches went away. Those backs were getting loose on the second and third level. 
and they were making that crucial third down call. So a combination of those two things, and that's usually it in the red zone. I mean, I always said, you want good red zone percentage, you better be running the ball in the end zone more than half the time. You, be, you can't depend on constant touchdown passes, okay? We didn't illustrate this, but you you pointed it out. I mean, you got J.J. on the edge, and you got two players with a with a shot at a DB, and they both missed them. That's a oh, touchdown geez. right there in the red oh, zone. Like, that play oh, killed me. It killed me. They ran a bluff zone, okay? And they, they brought uh, fly action with it, which gave them a bonus blocker when he pulled the ball. Not only did you have the bluffer going around the edge, you also had the fly guy going around the edge. J.J. pulled the ball, darted around the corner. The free safety came blowing up, okay? And he was by himself. with two. Uh, there were two guys to take him out. Yeah. He was it. He was the last line of defense. There was nothing left. He was good. JJ was going to, he could have stopped and done push ups every five yards and still scored. Okay. They both missed him. (laughs) They both missed him. And the guy kind of stuck his arm out and tackled him. But if you draw the picture, and we will, and freeze it, just freeze it when he's in the perimeter. Okay. And see those two guys bearing down on this safety. And I'm going, they're going to kill this guy. And they missed him. Yeah. But uh, it was a pretty play other than that. Yeah, it was uh, that you, you can't. I mean, can't scheme around that one. That one was schemed up pretty well. I hadn't seen them do that. No, no, I hadn't either. See, well, I tell you, they have found ways to to color up or window dress that bluff zone, and he's doing a good job of reading it because very seldom does he pull the ball and get tackled on a bluff. On a bluff. Now he has made a couple mistakes on base zone reads without somebody bluffing the end. But you know bluffing that end, Sam's different because that guy thinks he's getting a split zone and will turn and, and take himself out of position where your base zone read, he can just, you know, kind of shuffle down the line and play with you a little bit more. But he can't do that on a bluff zone. Here's one that says a red zone at Alpha is a QB option. That's something that you – I think – I don't know if you you or Devin saying, hey, you watch, JJ's going to – is going to – JJ is a run threat. It's going to become more prominent. Uh, as as we move forward, because I think they they jumped the G lead uh, in this game, which is one of Michigan's patented run plays around the goal line, and they they Penn State stuffed it, and so um, yeah. But he could have walked in the end zone the other way potentially. So talking about JJ, so you can see them maybe adding that wrinkle. Yeah, I think I think I loved it. I loved it. I, I loved the I love the speed option because it's generally low maintenance, and if you got to because you don't have to go through all that riding the fullback and doing all that stuff that I used to do way back in the seventies when I coached at Wishmore. So this, uh, this is a this is a specific question for you to answer in the context of uh, what I just laid out. I said Al, what is your assessment of short yardage power run game, third and three or less, plus red zone? What do you think of that quotient for Michigan? Well, I think a lot of it's based on how you're moving them. You know. Uh, Michigan has done that successfully on several occasions. The problem is on third and three, when you don't, everybody remembers that play. Okay. Everybody goes, why did they call that play? They, they tend to forget the other ones that work so well. And you're not going to be a hundred percent on anything. Eventually they're going to stop something you do. But in this game to call a third and three run, when you've rushed the ball as well as they do, I don't see anything wrong with that, but you still got to block it. You know, they still got to block it. You know, there's going to be a lot of people up there. But sometimes, again, you got to run into loaded boxes uh, to be a good running team. You got to do it sometimes. You don't want to do it all the time because you know what happens then. But you, you want to do it enough to where you you think you can get your back started and and, and be hard headed with the run game without being you know knocking your head against the wall. So there there is a place for it. But uh, and the way this game was going, this was probably the place for it. But Sometimes it's going to fail, and that's the one you're going to point to. Now, if they had three plays where they did that, I'd say you got a point. You know, you're not nebulously generalizing. You're saying or using anecdotal evidence. If if it's a constant, it's habitual, then I think you got a point. But if they stop them one time, hell, that's going to happen. You got to you got to go to the you got to go to the well of what's working, knowing that it may not sometimes. All right, here's another one. What was the main difference? You kind of touched on this a little bit, but kind of crystallized it for the people. What was the main difference in the run game versus Penn State compared to the games versus Maryland and Indiana? Yeah, this is the difference to me. Uh, and I don't have those numbers in front of me right now, my uh, my uh, Indiana uh, and Maryland numbers. I have those sheets. I just don't have them in front of me. But I can tell you pretty much, hopefully without grossly general, uh, generalizing, um, the horn play. 
the uh, the pin and pull was a, a, a dominant play in this game. It was run seven times, okay? Now, not all of those were handed off, Sam. Some of those were thrown to the perimeter on a bubble, but the ones he did hand off were highly productive. The power play, whether it was, which they did not run a ton in the Indiana game or the, uh, the uh, Maryland game, whether it be from unbalanced look or whether it be just their base power, generally from 22 personnel, two tight ends, two backs, was lethal. They did not stop power plays. Uh, they, they struggle with that. The split zone, which has been a hit and miss deal for them. Now, remember our first year split zone was, was their, was their play. I mean, they, I mean, you could chart 10 to 12 split zones a game. Well, they ran five split zones in this game and most of them were good. Most of them were pretty good. It, sh- it did show up. And, but the one that is, uh, and a bluff zone four times with variations of the bluff zone that weren't shown, that weren't shown in the Maryland or Indiana game. So, uh, just little tweaks, little tweaks, no big deal, but it helps them, uh, you know, it, it, it window dresses the play so they don't know it's coming, okay? And then the the good old go back to the womb duo play. That's the play that's been common to every game. The duo play to me, Sam, has taken the place of the counter. The counter, uh, and again, it's probably because of a couple of different guys on the offensive line. Last year they felt the counter was the bread and butter. They're going to run that several times in every game. But the counter is not near; hasn't been near as prominent in games of late. But the duo play has been a constant in every game. And again, in this game, they ran some form of duo, whether it was duo kick, whether it was duo straight duo, or duo counter. They ran it twelve different times. Mm-hmm. Some of those plays weren't all pretty, and some of them were gorgeous. But it's one of those plays where you're putting a body on a body, you're gapping dudes, blocking down and hoping that eventually the rock cracks and the rock broke in half in this game. Yeah, it it, it cracked open against Maryland for a big play, cracked open in this game for another huge play, uh, and they run it a lot, and they run it well a good portion of the time. All right, here's one, Al, right up your – you and your former quarterback probably disagreed on this play. It says, Coach, how do you teach a quarterback not to throw as they're being tackled, even though afterward I'm sure they know it? Devin said you let a playmaker – Make a play. You say oh, what I, now? I, no, I don't. I don't disagree with that. I think there you got to let it. You can't put the fire out, but you got to use good judgment. Okay, it's like a guy shooting a shot from ten feet behind the three point line, right? And you're screaming, "What are you taking that shot for?" Swish, you know. Uh, all right, you made it. I don't need you shooting 10 feet behind the three-point line every time. Our percentages are not good, so don't look at me like I'm going to do that every time. Unless well, it's Steph Curry. Unless it's yeah, Steph Curry. Yeah, hell, I mean, he makes some shots. How do you do that? I mean, that. but but then now his buddy sees him do that. He thinks he can shoot 10 feet behind the three-point So my, my point is, is if a guy's a playmaker, you can't take that out of his hands, but you got to use it. Don't abuse it. The play he's talking about, <laughs> holy smoke. There's another one. I mean, uh, we had a, a, the main causes of interceptions. I always uh, emphasize this with the quarterbacks, Devin and every other quarterback I coached. One of the top three, I think it was fourth on the list, three or fourth, of the, was desperately avoiding a sack, okay? Uh, and anytime you're desperately avoiding a sack, you tend to make a panic move, right, and throw the ball indiscriminately to a spot where you did not anticipate a defender being, Okay. And usually the result is disastrous. Well, when I watched that play from the booth and he cut that loose, I swallowed hard. And I bet you did too. I go, oh my God, no, he didn't do that. But somehow he got that ball over that guy's head, which would have been fine with me if it just would have fell incomplete. But no, he went beyond that. He completed the damn pass for, I don't know what it gained. But to say that that was a good decision, I'm having trouble with that. But but I think he knew what he had to do to get the ball over the guy, okay? And the result was positive. My ending, my end point with that would be don't make a habit of it. Don't make a habit of it. And let's leave it at that. All right. Let's keep on going with the, with the questions. Here's one from Darren Graham. What do you think opposing defenses will do schematically going forward to try to slow down this offense? They're going to load the box and make number nine beat them. 
you can't look at this video or any other one for that matter, but this one is the best matchup of the year, supposedly. It didn't look like it, but Penn State versus Michigan, two stout teams who have comparable players, they just rushed the ball for 418 yards. This is, I'm no genius, but my first instincts are to say we have got to contain Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards. We can't let them shove the ball up our butt. So they are going to make boxes as tough to deal with as you can. That's what you okay. said. Huh? <laughs> that's what you said. That's what you said in the meeting. <laughs> uh, that's, that's some hell of a coaching analysis right there. Man. Yeah. Literal. So Literal. They got a force. Swing, right? Yeah, they got a force nine to beat them. Now, now the difference – the problem, not the difference, the problem is nine can beat you, okay? Mm-hmm. That, this is where the rubber beats the road. I hear that from every defensive coordinator is make the quarterback beat you. Yeah, but what if the quarterback's really good? You know what I mean? That works if the quarterback isn't. But if the quarterback is, that can backfire in a hurry. So that said, I still would lean towards uh, trying to do all I could in terms of numbers and blitzes such to stop the run because that was that got my attention if I'm the defensive coordinator at Michigan State and any game any game from this point on uh, they have to be aware of that. Yeah, you know, there's a what comes first, the chicken or the egg. I mean, do you do you start you know airing it out now uh, before teams start stacking the box or do you? Wait for him to start stacking the box and react to that. I say that with this question of JB. Why doesn't Michigan just try to stretch the field more with the passing game in order to prevent stronger opposing defenses from stacking the box? Yeah, that's and that's what we just we just talked about. I think that's the one thing that's if you, if I had one thing, uh, if you, I was critical, and it's hard to be too critical because what they're doing is working and it's working against good teams. You can't say anymore this is Hawaii, okay? You can't say anymore this is Colorado State, okay? They have beat uh, Big Ten teams, formidable defensive teams. Minimize it all you want. Talk about uh, Iowa didn't put enough guys in the box or uh, Penn State, whatever. At one point in time, it is what it is, Sam, okay? It is what it is. But if I had one criticism, and I can't say it with a lot of real, real adamantly, is I would like to see them play pass and take more balls down the field. Now, I'm not talking about 20. I'm talking about five to seven shots, uh, which I think they're going to need eventually to do. But uh, what they're doing, uh, they're right and I'm wrong. I'm just projecting because what they're doing is working. So uh, that would be one one tactical thing that I would consider. So we'll talk about this more in depth uh, next week. Uh, Not sure if we'll do uh, a live in-person event, but we will do a Michigan State breakdown. Like, we'll break down Michigan State film, if nothing else. And we might even do it with Devin and, and Al in the same broadcast. We'll, we'll see. I don't know if I can do that. No, we no. can fit those, those giant-sized egos in there. No, but, no. If, I, if I'm on the same broadcast with him, Sam, he'll end up blocking me. <laughs> I've been trying to get him to block me. He won't block me. Yeah, that, that, is, that is his reaction, his first reaction to conflict. I'll just block him. Uh, for sure. But we saw last year, Al, there be a ton of opportunities against that Michigan State pass defense, a pass defense that Kate McNamara threw for 383 yards, I think, against. And yet uh, I remember us coming out of that game saying, man, there was even more meat left on the bone. And that it was a game where you felt like that was how they had to win it because Michigan State did a pretty good job. Uh, better than you would have expected against Michigan's run game. So I'm yes. curious, uh, as we before we look back at that game, if what kind of stuck out to you about how why they were effective in slowing Michigan down on the ground, and then how much meat do you recall being left on on the on the bone in the passing game? Because this pass defense for Michigan State doesn't seem any better. Yeah, uh, a year ago I was impressed with how hard Michigan State played, which they've done. You know, when I was at Michigan, the same thing. They play very hard in this game. And you get a different team, particularly up front, because uh, if you go back over last year's game, they won a lot of individual matchups on the line of scrimmage that led to some failed running plays, which hurt. It hurt. 
hopefully this year that won't happen. But I don't think you can anticipate that they're just going to lay down because they don't have a very good record or not playing as well. You will get a different product in this football game for Michigan State. Whether it'll be good enough to beat, I have a lot of doubt about that. I don't know, good enough to beat Michigan. I, I, I have a lot of doubt about that. But it will be a better effort. Than we just saw from, from Penn State. Yes. And I just don't see, look, man, uh, you know, some things are what they are. I mean, Sam Cassell went to bed last night, woke up looking like Sam Cassell again. You just some, some things you can't change, yeah, change. Without, without major surgery, right? And right. that's that's Michigan State's pass defense. That's it, it kind of is what it is right now. So you just said a moment ago, there's gonna come a time where they have got to light a team up through the air. And I can really see this being that game because if you're if you're Michigan State, there is no hope for you. There's no hope for the future if Blake Corman and, and Donovan Edwards, if you don't slow that down, it's might as well not even show up. So they got to come into this game saying, we got to stop them, right? Absolutely. And them and everybody else. I mean, they're, they're not just Michigan State, but everybody else, because that's been Michigan's strength. And the whole key to playing defense is find a way to make them play left-handed. Try to get them to play away from their comfort zone but I think, Sam, that's a lot easier to say than it is to do. Oh, well, true. Uh, look, I'm not out here making it sound like they're going to be out playing tiddlywinks out there like it's like it's a cakewalk. But, Al, every quarterback worth his salt last season and even quarterbacks worth their salt this season have been able to have their way with the Michigan State defense, uh, pass defense. So, again, if – if you're looking to get that part of your game on track, and I'm not saying that Michigan State is a practice dummy. I'm not, I'm not saying that. But if you're looking to get your passing game on track, this is like the opponent. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, I, and, and to be clear, I'm not saying Michigan's pass game is off track, but we're, we're talking about the downfield passing game, right? Yeah. Yeah, there, there'll, there'll be opportunities for that. It's just a matter of whether, you know, you, you want how you pick your poison. If the ball's getting moved on the ground real well in the same manner and fashion it did in this game, I doubt you'll see any different strategy. Yeah, I hear you. I doubt it. I don't think they're interested in making any statement about how well they have to pass the ball in this game or any other one. They will assume they're going to run the ball like they've run and adjust accordingly. And I think that's what they did a year ago. Was I, I don't think they anticipated they were going to throw for 300-and-something-odd yards, but because the running game was was not what it had been in other games, they had to go to plan B, and that was throwing the ball. And that's where Michigan State happened to be vulnerable. Oh. But I don't, I don't see any metamorphosis taking place with regard to the tactics Michigan will use in this game as opposed to any other game. They're going to make Michigan State prove they can stop the running game. They're going to throw the ball intermittently between and see how the game goes and make their battlefield decisions as the game progresses and they see what the score is. Yeah, absolutely. Well, folks, we will do a breakdown of the Spartans. I will get Al and Devin on the horn together, right, to uh, to be a part of that breakdown. Uh, Vance, I'll see who I get get Vance paired with. We'll, we'll get Vance paired with one of his guys. Maybe we'll call up Marcus Ray and get Vance paired with uh, with Marcus to look back at, at Michigan State. One of his guys. We'll see. Uh, you know, it could be him. It could be uh, Chris Singletary. We'll, we'll get uh, a former Michigan defensive player to go on with Vance, too, and look ahead to Sparty. But don't forget, we do have the, uh, the film study with Al coming up. So we're going to do that right now. We go live with Vance, we'll say, 445. Uh, this afternoon, uh, that's probably around the time we'll get done with the uh, with the analysis piece. Uh, so then at that point, or the film study at that point, we'll go live with you. You'll get your, your chance to holler at Vance and the film study with Devin going up as soon as we get off of this broadcast. So a lot for you still to come. Of course, if you like this these breakdowns, be sure to like this video. Be sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel. That way you'll get a notification every time we put up a new video. If you're listening to this on the podcast, you be sure to like and subscribe on our podcast page. You can find it wherever you get your podcast. That's Google, Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes, you name it. Of course, you can find everything we do over on the MichiganInsider.com. That's where it all goes down. The, the podcast, the video, all of the written stories, the recruiting coverage, the VIP message board, 
$1 gets you in for your first month, and that includes access to all of the sites on the 24-7 Sports Network. Then, of course, when you become a full-paying member of the MichiganInsider.com, not only do you get access to all the 24-7 Sports sites uh, across the network, you also get a Paramount Plus subscription. Cannot beat it. Great bang for your buck. So, again, folks, we appreciate you taking the time with us. Be sure to check back in as we go live with Vance later on today and check out all the film studies. Until then, thanks for watching another edition of the Michigan Football Breakdown focused on the offense with Al Borges. Go Blue. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.